The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. What does it mean to be present We hear that word kicked around a lot, being here now, be present, just live for the now, all of that. And the phrase is even being used in businesses today where uh, people or bosses are encouraging their employees, specifically those in a very fast-paced environment, to stay present, stay present. What does it really mean? Does it mean not leaving the room? Is the boss trying to say, hey, don't leave the room, don't go to the bathroom? Does it mean not making any plans for tomorrow or having any memories of yesterday? That's what a lot of people think it means. It means, you know, just go willy-nilly, don't make any plans for tomorrow, or don't even think about yesterday. Does it mean flying by the seat of your pants when it comes to job performance or relationship and parenting? That's what a lot of people think. These are pretty common questions we get when it comes to understanding what it means to be present. But actually, being present is none of those things. Being present has to do with experiencing the fullness of living. But we say that, people go, okay, yeah, but what does it really mean? Well, we're going to answer some of those questions today, and hopefully, at least on an intellectual basis, you'll understand being present like you never have before at the end of the show. So, uh, John Donne, famous poet from uh, the 15-1600 era, uh, said, I neglect God and his angels for the noise of a fly, for the rattling of a coach, for the whining of a door. Now, it's possible that what he meant when he said that is that he tries to get alone with God and he said God and his angels and I go in my room and I call on them and, and then I neglect them for those sounds. That's a little bit like what we think of in terms of meditation when we sit down to meditate and the mind just goes everywhere listening to the monkey chatter. And so it's possible that he meant he wished he could be more present. But you can turn that statement around also because... If you just take it out of context, he could also be saying, let me really be present with the noise of that fly. Let me really be present with the rattling of that coach. Let me really be present with the whining of that door. In other words, let me stop trying to seek some higher place that's, uh, you know, uh, um, all about what we think God and his angels mean. And let me settle down to see God in the moment, in this presence. So you can look at that both ways. And what we're going to talk about today is that second way. How it is that we get lost in our spirituality and forget to be present. For 
several years now, uh, many people have been in the practice of meditation, many people who have varying beliefs, whether they're traditional beliefs or uh, very alternate pathways, whatever it is, many people meditate today. And many people talk about what it's like to try to get the mind to stop doing the monkey chatter. And if you've been listening to my shows, you know that um, trying to get your brain to stop doing something is like trying to get your heart to stop beating. It's just not going to work. And really, do you want it to? <laughs> so uh, your brain is not going to stop thinking. Your brain is, a, is a, uh, an active energetic force and it's and in being attached to the duality trans state as we all are we're gonna be all up in what what i gotta do tomorrow what i gotta do tonight what i gotta do tomorrow you know when i first get to work and don't hope i don't forget to call so and so and and you know that stuff we're gonna be in the monkey chatter so when people ask me about how do you meditate, how do you get your thoughts to stop? And people say that all the time. Well, I can't meditate because I can't get my thoughts to stop. Well, <laughs> nobody can get their thoughts to stop. And if they tell you they can, they are not telling you the truth. Um, what we can do, however, is be present. And so when we talk about that in meditation, what we're talking about is what some people refer to as mindfulness. I call it presence because what it is is really tuning into what is. Um, Eckhart Tolle talks about it being a form of acceptance of what is. And I really like that way of thinking about it because um, when, we, when we're in acceptance, we're not in resistance. Uh, there's a passage that Jesus, uh, in, in the, one of the Gospels, that, where Jesus is purported to have said, resist not evil. And um, evil being a term there that w- when it's reduced to its uh, root language means distribution of fortunes. So if we're not going to resist the distribution of our fortunes, what that means is that we're not going to resist what is. And that's kind of what's being said here, that Eckhart Tolle was saying that what is, is what is our gift. What is, is this moment. And it has all of the gifts of this moment in it. So what we tend to think is, well, if I have to accept what is, then I'm just settling for less than what I really want. Particularly in the uh, late 80s and early 90s when the law of attraction became such a big deal and uh, people in the New Age movement really began to um, put forth the idea that our thoughts are what attract and, oh, you better watch what your words say because that's going to attract and, oh, you better watch what you're, you know, um, imagining and uh, because that's going to attract and... Basically, what it was saying was, if you don't get a grip on your head, bad things are going to happen to you. And, um, or if you get a good grip on your head, good things will happen to you. And I see that, as many of you know who've read my book, uh, The Law of Attraction, The Soul's Answer to Why It Isn't Working and How It Can, I believe that that's a bargain with the universe that says, if I think good thoughts, then good things will come to me. And you know, if there's an in, and I, I mean, if there's an if, and a then, we're bargaining. So I don't think the universe or the divine needs our puny little bargains. I think that we are um, we're we're trying to do what we've always done. Only we're using a different route to do it. The ancients sacrificed cows and goats and pigs and other things, wheat and all that, to 
to please the gods so that their distribution of fortunes would be favorable. And now we do the same thing, only we do it with our thoughts. We try to say, well, if I can think, manage to get my brain under control, then good things will come my way. And that's, that's magical thinking. So it's all about not accepting our, our, what is. That's a way of not being present. So uh, when we're talking about being present, accepting what is is not something we can force into place. We may be anywhere along the lines of the acceptance process in terms of, you know, being sad about it, being angry about it, being uh, in denial about it, or being in, in a bargaining stage with it. Or we may have finally reached acceptance. But wherever we are, we can accept that we are there also. And that's part of being present with what is. So what is? Many, many, many varied things in a moment. I've got emotions going on, maybe sometimes two or three or different emotions simultaneously happening inside of me. I might feel a great deal of joy just by being able to sit down and be present. I might also be feeling worried about, uh, and I might have that even in my body, worried about something that might be going on with one of my children or uh, a husband or a wife. Or um, um, I might be uh, concerned about something that's coming up, some deadline that's coming up and whether or not I can meet it. All kinds of things can be happening simultaneous to my joy. I might even be really angry at someone simultaneous to my joy. So there's a bunch of things that can be happening at the same time. And as we become conscious of each one of those things, we can just receive that as, as the gift that it is, as what it is. So here you are. I know you have something to give me. And we'll see what happens. And it's and people a lot of times when they talk when people talk about mindfulness, what they do is add this little caveat which moves it away from presence. The caveat is if you can um, let go of these things, you sort of have this thought or this emotion arise, and then you let it go. And if you can let go of it, then you'll find that peace. Well, you're back in bargaining when you do that. Immediately when you say, if I can do this, then I'll have that, you're in bargaining. Acceptance is not about bargaining. It, it's that bargaining is definitely a stage that will ultimately get us to acceptance once we realize that bargaining doesn't work. But we have to realize that bargaining doesn't work first. <laughs> so, uh, so the idea is that we're, we're, we're talking about just being present with what is. So lots of us experience this when we go to the beach. We go to the beach and we sit on the beach. Sometimes people have their earphones plugged in and they're listening to music. Sometimes people are reading a book. Sometimes they're just sitting there looking at the waves. That's what I tend to do when I go to the beach because I'm reading and talking and writing and all kinds of things most of the time. So when I go to the beach, I don't want to do all that. I want to sit and look at the waves or I want to go swim in the waves, which I do frequently as well. But, but when I'm on the beach... I'm watching the waves. I'm watching the ocean. I'm listening to the sounds. I'm just being there with it. Um, do my, does my mind wander off? Absolutely. Do I think about things that bother me? Yeah. Do I think about things that make me happy? Yeah. All that happens, but I'm just there with it. And uh, it's, so it's kind of like that. You're, you're watching the waves come in and then go. And come in and then go. And all the birds are coming along picking up the little clams that are left in the sand. And, you know, you're just watching. And that's kind of what it is to be present. But 
uh, and that's specific to meditation. But we can also be present as we're walking through our lives. Uh, we can decide to tune in with what's going on around us. Let me ask this. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you had a kind of, you know, dialogue and you you thought that you understood what they really meant by the end of that discussion? But later that day or that night when you have a little time for quiet and sort of wandering through your day and your thoughts, you come back on that conversation and you go, oh, that's what he really meant. Oh, that I see. That was the undercurrent. That was the subtext. That was what's really going on here. I know you've done that. I've done it as well. What that is evidence of is we're, our presence is catching up. <laughs> we, we finally caught up with what really happened in the room earlier. And uh, now we're being present. So presence is not necessarily about a moment in time because as we know there is no such thing as time we made all that up as a way of kind of trying to put our universe into a frame of reference now somebody could say well there are 24 hours in a day well if you think that hours are made up the way they're made up yes then there are 24 of them if you make hours out of 80 minutes instead of 60 well then there's less than 24 hours in a day so it's all about how we configured it and um, so it's not about when we get present. It's about that we get present. So in that conversation that we get present with, we can go, oh, I see what happened. Now we can make a realistic plan about what we want to do with it. Now, uh-oh, we're planning. Is planning uh, something that threatens the now, the presence? No. Planning is saying, okay, I've decided this is what I want to do. Now, might that change later? Yes. But right now, this this particular decision about what I want to do makes sense to me. And so that's what I think I might do in the future. But as the future rolls on, and if I change my mind, okay, so be it. I'll change my mind. So it doesn't, nothing about being present means that we should stop planning for the future. And nothing about being present means that we should forget about the past. Um, those are pretty much impossibilities given the fact that we live in a world that is entranced with duality. Where duality says there's a beginning and an end, and in the middle, well, hopefully you're doing something good. Um, but in in a, in the reality of life, there is nothing but now. There's always only now. So if I'm planning for for the future, that doesn't mean that I'm not in the now. It means that in the now, I'm accepting the fact that my heart and my mind want to plan for the future. Okay, I can accept that. That's all it means. Um, does it mean my plan has to be come come true just the way I've done it, or somehow I failed? No. That is where we get into more duality thinking, more more black and white, either or kinds of thinking that says there's a right way to do this and I've made the plan for it so I have to keep up with the plan. I've worked with people over the years in my practice who come to see me and say, I can't leave my husband or my wife because I made a promise and I can't break it. And very often what they're saying is, you know, these things called promises are sacred and you should never... Make a promise that you're not going to keep. So what they're saying is, I had a plan 20 years ago, and I've got to maintain that plan regardless of how it's turning out now. And um, what that is is a kind of rigid, uh, dogmatic thinking that says, um, how I was 20 years ago is how I should be today. And it ain't necessarily so. 
And very often it's not so. As a matter of fact, most of the time it's not so. And if I am the same person that I was yesterday or 20 years ago, probably missing out on some growth experiences. So um, when we make a promise, what we're doing is actually making a plan. Doesn't mean we're going to be able to keep that. Doesn't mean we're going to be uh, betraying our souls or our destiny or God or anything like that if we if we uh, make that plan. It just means that we made a plan back based on how we were 20 years ago. And now, 20 years later, that plan is ineffective. And I've tolerated the intolerable for 20 years, and I just can't do it anymore. And uh, that's okay. So uh, we've got a lot of rigid thinking about what, uh, what it means to be in the now, what it means to be trying to make a plan, what it means to make promises. As a matter of fact, one of the things that um, Jesus is purported to have said again in the Gospels is that if we make a don't swear by your hair, the hair of your head or anything else, if it lets your yes be yes and your no be no. So basically what he's saying is, okay, you plan to do that, but okay, if you don't get to it, then okay. So there's a big old okay that comes with uh, being present. That says, okay, that's what is. And can we always do that emotionally? No, but we can be present with the emotions about, uh, that are reacting to what is. So, uh, suppose I've just been injured in an automobile accident and I'm trying to sort of process my way through that. And in my mind, I don't want to be in this bed. I don't want to have to go through six months of physical therapy. I don't want to deal with this stuff. And I'm angry that I have to. And so we would, some people would say, well, that means you're just not being present. And that means you need to get rid of that bad old anger because it's, you know, getting in the way of your relationship with the divine or it's getting in the way of your peace or, you know, those kinds of things. And, uh, but actually being present would say, okay, this is how I'm feeling right now. How I'm feeling is I'm really angry that this has happened to me and I'm just going to let myself feel that and be with that and be present with that because if it was a child, or uh, some relative that I care about, or a husband or wife, I might be pretty sympathetic for how they feel about when they're angry about this. I might be saying, you know, yeah, of course you're angry. This makes perfect sense. But if it's me, and I think that my I'm judging myself for being angry, then I'm not being present with that anger. And that anger has a gift to give me, and I'm missing the gift if I can't stay present with the anger. And I might not even get the gift, uh, you know, for a while anyway, because sometimes it takes us a while to sort of process through something or uh, some people would say digest something, assimilate something. Those are all uh, effective words to talk about what I'm talking about, that uh, it, it's, it's hard for us to get through that to the other place where we can go, oh, there's that gift. I see it now. I didn't see it before, but I see it now. And um, so... We're going to talk a little bit more about those gifts um, right after the break. But for now, what I want to say is being present is not um, just focusing on this moment right now in time. Uh, that's what we tend to think. Uh, be present in the now means, okay, there's 60 seconds. i got 60 seconds. I really need to focus on what's going on. There's 60 seconds. I need to hurry and do that because if I don't do that, the minute's going to be gone. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, of course, we've lost presence entirely by doing that. Um, and rushing ourselves or pushing ourselves or um, striving after trying to attain a moment means we've lost the moment. Um, but we've been taught to strive after it. We've been taught to get to a place inside of ourselves where we can be peaceful. And if we can push ourselves to get to that place, then we can have that peace finally. 
And I would say that's exactly opposite of peace. So we're going to talk some more about that right after the break. Stay tuned for more. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Healing from the Heart is the show that focuses on freeing the heart by releasing the hidden energies that keep it from doing what the heart was created to do, give and receive love. Every week, your host, Chris Chimbers, an energetic healing practitioner, will explore different aspects of his work, interview leading healers, respond to listeners' questions, and even do some live sessions on air. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, for Healing from the Heart on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you interested in finding out more about divine guidance? We all possess special gifts in this world, and sometimes finding out more about them and how to use them can help us get through some of the difficult parts of our lives. Tune in to Elemental Balance, Soul and Spirit Guidance with host Phyllis Valois. Phyllis is an intuitive and medium who will use her gifts to help you find out more about your gifts. Listen every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is the study of the divine, and holistic theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religion to get to the mystical core of them all. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers doctorate, master's, and ministerial bachelor degrees, chaplaincy programs with internship, NBCC-approved continuing education, and a brand-new Ph.D. program in holistic theology. AIHT's programs include degrees in the following. Holistic Theology, offering as terminal degrees both a Th.D. and a Ph.D., Holistic Ministries, Holistic Health and Spiritual Care, Metaphysical Spirituality, and Alternate Spiritual Traditions, this this program includes in-depth studies in the paranormal, which a lot of people are still very interested in, particularly given all the TV shows we have on the paranormal today. So if you're interested in the paranormal studies, we have them here at the AIHT. Using a home study model for distance learning, the student of AIHT gets a thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate a unique gift for the world, your gift. AIHT is a real education program where you get a real learning experience in a broad spectrum of educational endeavors, utilizing as your text writing teachers, spiritual experts from all over the world, some of whom I've interviewed on this show. The big deal is that facilitating your dream is AIHT's mission. 
All you have to do to enroll is either go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. Again, if you'd like to enroll right now, pick up the phone and call 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says, education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. And speaking of Oprah, you guys know that I've been playing clips of her upcoming uh, Super Soul Sunday series on the show. And uh, they are in a hiatus right now in terms of, uh, of it being repeat shows. But I still encourage you to watch. Watch them again because they have so much to offer. You watch it once and you miss it. You watch it a second time and you get that thing you missed last time. So watch them again even during August. We're going to start up with the clips again in September. So, we're talking today about what it means to be present. As I said before the break, we're going to talk now about what it is that is the gift of being present. So, let's say, for example, that you have a big fear. Say you have a big fear that seems to sabotage you. Like, for example, you... Um, have an old uh, tape, as we call those, I call them mantra, um, an old mantra that says that you really don't matter, that, you know, what you do doesn't impact many people and what, what you have to say doesn't really matter. And you can't really speak up for your own needs because you don't really matter. Well, where that came from, as we know, if you've listened to these, uh, to this show, is that you were imprinted with that idea early, early, early in your childhood while you were still in the Delta and Theta states of, of uh, mental activity and you sort of were hypnotized into that mantra and you identified with it so that now you believe way down deep even if you give all your power to going against that you believe way down deep that you really don't matter and that you should not um, matter because if you do you're betraying something or someone most importantly your own identity so um, so you you got that mantra in there and you hear it you hear it coming up more and more recently and it 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 comes up to say you know again when you're like say you meet a new group of people and some part of you starts backing away into the wallpaper and you start to find yourself feeling awkward and stupid and inept and unable to communicate with others what's happening there is that you're listening to that mantra again and the mantra is saying you don't matter you don't matter. And if you can hear it, if you can just hear it, then that is a kind of acceptance that says, okay, I hear you. I hear you. And it's very interesting to me that uh, the energies inside of us want to be noticed. They want to be noticed. Um, I had a story once about a little girl who did somersaults across the lawn of her house hoping her mother would look at her. And uh, she did them over and over again saying, Mommy, look, Mommy, look, Mommy, look. And she was trying to get her mom's attention. But her mom believed that to give a child attention was to make it arrogant, to make the child arrogant. So the child um, never got the attention she needed in that moment and uh, never forgot that moment either. So uh, what was happening there was that, that the child was calling out for something that her mother was refusing to give her. And that's kind of the way we treat our own internal emotions sometimes. we They call out to us to be noticed. Look, 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 look. I've got this feeling. I've got this thing going on inside me. They're calling to us and we go, no, I, I can't feel you. You're ugly. You're, you know, I'm not supposed to give you attention because if I do, you'll grow. 
or I'm not supposed to give you attention because you're a bad feeling or I'm not supposed to give you attention because you're a negative feeling or a negative thought and oh my gosh, if I have those, then I won't, the law of attraction will work against me. So, so we, we push them away. We, we tell them we don't want to notice them. We don't want to hear them. And yet they keep calling, don't they? How long does it take to get over something? As long as it takes to hear it. <laughs> okay? People ask me all the time, you know, I'm, I'm grieving about something. How long is this going to take? <laughs> Which is, you know, I could say, well, 2.5 years and 33 seconds. Um, yeah, no, there's no answer to that first. And second, the... The idea that we're, we're, we are trying to rush that process is uh, the refusal to be present with it. Um, so we say to ourselves, oh gosh, this is painful. I shouldn't be present with this. Nobody wants me to sit on my pity pot. Nobody wants me to feel my pain. Nobody wants to be around a sad sack. Nobody wants to hear me crying in my beer, blah, 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 blah. So that's what we say to ourselves. And so we tell ourselves we shouldn't have these feelings. Because why? Because somebody else thinks we shouldn't? Or because we don't really want to feel them. Probably a little bit of both. But in the process, what we're doing is refusing to be present, and therefore we're missing the gift. Now, what does the gift of grief have to give us? Pieces of ourselves we left behind. For example, <clears throat> when most of us who reach my age or start getting on up closer to my age or past my age, at some point lose a parent. Um now, a lot of people say, well, I just, you know, I can't stand it. They were my best friend. I can't, I just don't know what I'm going to do without them. Well, that's a normal feeling to have and totally understandable. However, if we stay right there and just won't let ourselves move on past that, then what happens is that we um, not only stay stuck in the grief process, but we also miss the gift that our parents' death had to give us. And one of the gifts, and there's several, but one of the gifts that I know of from my own personal experience um, is a, that pieces of myself that I had not allowed myself to be aware of because my mother or my father was still on planet Earth become apparent to me after they're gone. Why? Because now I've got to deal with them. There's nobody else here to bounce that off of and pretend it came only from them. Okay? That's one of the possible gifts. The other is more independence, more uh, of uh, self-reliance, uh, more a sense of the connection that you had, that you have after they die more than you had while they were alive. Uh, there's deep, essential, meaningful gifts in the death of a parent. And there's deep, essential, meaningful gifts in any experience we have. Um, each each thing that is brought into our lives is brought into our lives as a soulful intention to bring us closer in alliance to who we are. So it's not just the events, but it's how we respond or react to those events that it, that is going to bring us into a deeper alliance with the authentic self. How does that work? Well, okay, so something bad happens. And I'm in the trying to adjust to it, but I'm also hating it. And I don't like the bad thing. I'm putting bad in quotes. You can't see me doing my little uh, rabbit ears here, but I am putting them in quotes because I don't believe that anything that happens is bad. But I, but I'm going to interpret it for you as bad. And uh, what happens there is that I'm um, because of that interpretation, I'm refusing to receive it, and I'm missing the gift. So um, the gift can be anything from. Um, 
a certain groundedness in myself as a result of just walking through the experience. It can be uh, um, an inheritance of uh, a kind of grace that I now have because I understand myself at a deeper level. Um, it can even be peace. It can even be joy because I have walked through the trauma, the drama, the painful feeling, the whatever, and I haven't tried to resist it. And even when I did resist it, I was present with my, present with my resistance by saying, okay, you need to not, you need to, uh, resist this right now, and that's okay. And I'm going to just let you go ahead and have that feeling. And I'm going to be with you while you do that. Because I've, I, like that little child who did all the somersaulting and didn't get attention, those, the, all of the different variant voices inside of us, the different emotions, the angers, the fears, the sorrows, they all are trying to get our attention. Why? Because we're so freaking inattentive. <laughs> we're just like determined not to pay attention to what's going on inside of us. People think, we tend to think, generally speaking, all over the world, that paying attention to what goes on inside of us makes us narcissistic. It doesn't. It makes us aware. Okay? You don't become more narcissistic by paying attention to what's going on inside you. You become more aware of what's going on inside you. And the more aware you are of what's going on inside of you, the more compassion you have for yourself, the more empathy you have for yourself, and therefore, you also have more compassion and more empathy for other people. So it actually grows you into a person who has a greater capacity to be there for other people. Because if you're present with yourself, you can also be present with others. So the notion that tuning into what's going on inside of us, uh, whether it be quote-unquote negative emotions or quote-unquote positive emotions, uh, it, it, that by paying attention to that, we're going to either attract something bad to ourselves or we're going to become these selfish, um, you know, uh, automatons who can only study our own navels. That idea is completely, absolutely, 100%, utterly false. Can I make false any stronger there? Uh, the, uh, the idea I'm talking about here is that being present is all about paying attention to what goes on inside of us. Now, the other thing is that we, uh, another myth that we have about this is that we can't pay attention to ourselves and simultaneously pay attention to someone else at the same time. Well, as a therapist, I do that hourly, every day. I pay attention to what's going on inside me because it's informative. Um, I want to make sure that I'm not transferring my own stuff onto the client. Um, but also it's informative about, uh, what, what, how I might actually relate to this person because what goes on inside me is my response to this other person and what they're saying. Um, so I'm paying attention to that, but I'm also paying attention to the part, the other person, what they're saying, how they're feeling, their body language, the way they move their eyes, uh, the tone of voice they speak in. All of that is also I'm very attuned to. So I can absolutely testify to the fact that it is totally possible to be 100% there for ourselves and simultaneously 100% there present with someone else. Now, uh, some might even call that something akin to non-local reality like Deepak Chopra calls it where you can be in two places at one time. Um, uh, and and I think there's some truth to that because we're so, empathy is a kind of way of being not local uh, to yourself. You're really kind of um, tuned in to um, the the truth of um, what's going on around you and 
and there's a there's a kind of leaving yourself to do that and so you're pre- you're paying attention to that simultaneously there's also a being present with yourself so you're tuned into that and so you're you're in two different localities at the same time so yes it is possible to to do that to be bi located as some people will call it um and through our empathy so being present is not an impossible task, but we've made it an impossible task by coming up with a lot of mythologies about what it is. Being present means being selfish. Being present means being non-compassion. Being present means being being uh, narcissistic. Being present means that you uh, are so tuned into yourself you can't be there for somebody else. And all of those things are false. But if I have a, a, a quote-unquote negative feeling like fear... That's one of the ones that the New Age uh, movement in particular, not necessarily the New Thought movement, but the New Age movement in particular has just cast such aspersions on the whole idea of fear. The idea that we can't be loving and be afraid at the same time is false. We absolutely can. We can love love our own fear. We can we receive our own fear like a scared little child and hold it and love it. So absolutely it's possible for us to love and be afraid at the same time. Um, and the idea that we can't is a dualistic way of looking at life. If you've got this quote-unquote negative feeling, then, uh-oh, you can't have a positive feeling at the same time. Not true. But fear has information for us. It can give us uh, um, keen, distinct, fully loaded, potent information about our childhoods, about the mantras that are in our own minds, about how we can get in our own ways, and about uh, sometimes about really important things we need to pay attention to. Um, sometimes being afraid means we protect ourselves in ways that we absolutely should. But if we're being told don't notice that emotion, then we're not going to be able to protect ourselves. Um, we walk out in the middle of the street. I've said this a hundred times. If you walk out in the middle of the street and there's a Mack truck coming, you better be afraid. Because if you're not, you're not going to move out of the way. Um, and I wish I could remember the title of the book of the, of the author who wrote, who was on the Oprah show, uh, about how fear can be our helper and uh, how uh, so many women have felt a kind of tingling fear about something and they finally paid attention to it and found out that indeed their fear was right on target. So, Absolutely, fear is a big helper in that way. Uh, when I'm, when somebody's on the road with me and I have this sense that they're going to try to cut me off, my fear comes up and because I can respond to that fear, I can sort of tool my car over the other way so they don't run me off the road. And that has happened. We have, you know, aggressive drivers here. So, so yes, our fears are very, very important. They give us loads of information, not only about the present and what might be happening right now that we need to tune into externally, but also what what volumes of information are spinning around inside of ourselves that we haven't paid attention to because to pay attention to them would be to acknowledge our fear. And to acknowledge our fear means we're either... We either lack courage, we're not courageous enough, we're not, we're, you know, um, chicken, or perhaps we're even bad, or perhaps we're even drawing, uh, bad stuff into our lives. So the, all these ways that we talk ourselves out of paying attention to what's going on, uh, keep us from being present. But being present with our fear means, okay, there you are, fear. What do you have to give me? Fear might be telling me to get the heck out of the road. And that's a gift. Fear might be helping me understand my mantras. That's a gift. Fear might be helping me understand that, that I, that I talk myself out of things that, 
that perhaps might be very helpful to me. But not noticing the fear, I will never know that. So those are some of the gifts we can find in these emotions that many, many of our spiritual leaders today are still telling us, don't feel that. That's a negative emotion. Don't feel it. And I'm saying, feel it. Be present with it. Don't just feel it and let it dominate your life, but be present with it. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means and then what it means to to be present through job performance relationship and, and uh, things like that. So we'll be back in just a moment with more. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you living your happy life? Are you looking for something more fulfilling? Tune in every week for Living the Shift, our evolution of mind, body, and spirit with your host, Angela Coulter. The worldwide economy has changed the way that we view and live a traditional happy life. The spiritual and metaphysical world does provide some guidelines, but many of us have no real understanding of these and what they can do. Listen live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. If you are looking to shift from struggle to a life of alignment with your deepest truth, you'll want to tune in to Thresholds to Awakening with host Sway Emily Spilkin. Our program will help you discover that your deepest challenges are not mistakes, but opportunities to become who you really are. Thresholds to Awakening. Enter your darkness to find your light, where Sway speaks with spiritual luminaries, cutting-edge thought leaders, and experts in the field of transformation. Listen live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Visionary. Be extraordinary. Be the change. This is the Seventh Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at Andrea Matthews LPC.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're back with the final segment. We're talking about how to be present today, what that really means, and 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 how it is that we can really put it into a practical experience of living. Um, we said just before the break that I wanted to talk a little bit about how it is that we can have be present with our emotions and um, and still maybe not even act on them. So. Um, that's one of the myths that we have about our emotions is that if we feel them, we're going to act on them. And um, Carl Jung talks about a, a process called holding the tension, 
between um, an emotion, a thought, or an emotion and an act, or two different uh, complexes in the psyche, or two different um, uh, um, archetypes in the psyche, holding the tension allows us to just kind of be present with what is in that tension long enough to give ourselves a kind of assessment to breathe, to receive what's there, and just to kind of go, okay, let's just let this kind of gel for a little bit, and let me see what's really here inside me. And let me hear the countering voices inside me, and let me just kind of be present with each of them, and and let's just let's see what happens here. So, so ultimately, uh, what we're afraid of is that I'm going to be angry, and so then I'm going to have to kill you, or... <laughs> Or I'm going to have to slap you, or I'm going to have to hurt you, I'm going to have to take my vengeance out on you, or I'm going to have to be passive-aggressive and be sarcastic, or or find some way to get you back without you really knowing it was ever me that did it. Uh, that's what we tend to think, that our anger will control us. But anger is just an emotion. It does not have any more control over us than that which we give it. And fear is just an emotion it has no more control over us than that which we give it. And and a, a sorrow is just an emotion. It has no more control over us than that which we give it. And the same with every other emotion, joy, peace, you know, all of those. We have this tendency to think that if I ever start feeling my emotions, they're going to take over and I'm just going to become this mad person, this mad meaning, insane person. Uh, and And of course, that's not true. But if we believe it, we might, might might tend to enact it as if it's true because that's the mantra we've told ourselves. Um, so in looking for the gift, we have to learn to hold the tension. That means I feel this feeling, but I'm not going to act on it right now. I'm just going to sit with it. I'm just going to sit and see what it has to tell me and see where the gift is in this. And then if I decide to do anything, I'll be clear about what that is when the time comes. Um, I may not decide to ever do anything physically. Uh, I might not have a talk with somebody. I might not go tell somebody off. I might not, you know, uh, go scream at them for what they did that was so stupid. I, you know, I might, I might not do any of that after I get through processing. But first, I'm just going to be with it and see what it has to give me. It's like we have an inner guide inside of us. Emotions, intuition, our own uh, thoughts, our own old mantras that aren't working, and the, and even the new, the new uh, powers that have, have evolved inside of us, all of that has something to give us. But we tend to think, uh oh, well, I'm not going to give that any control. People talk about managing their emotions, and I want to go. Really, you want to manage this? <laughs> I don't think so. It's just a feeling. You don't have to do anything more with it, but be present with it. Uh, be present with it and see what it has to say. And then, then perhaps uh, it would be more akin, more akin to, okay, now I can take some action. Um, so, okay, when it, so we're talking about holding the ch- tension. And, and I also said we were going to talk a little bit about how to bring presence into job performance or relationships, um, h- how to do that. We know in relationships in particular, people talk about, well, we need to give have quality time uh, with our relationships. We need to have quality time with our children and quality time with our spouses, and that enhances the relationship. Well, why? 
Why does it enhance the relationship? I mean, we could have quality time where we, you know, make eye contact with somebody and really try to tune in with what they're saying, but the whole time we really don't like them much and we don't have much respect for them, and and later we're going to cuss them out and treat them bad. Uh, So why does that by itself enhance the relationship? It doesn't unless we are present in that quality time. So quality time would be about really being present with ourselves and the other person in that in those moments. Um, so we're, when we're present with a child, that means we're, we're really kind of tuning into what they're saying and what their, what their body language is, is communicating to us non-verbally and not, not through some kind of analytical way of reading their body language, but rather, uh, really just tuning in gently, paying attention to what's sort of being said by the body and what's being said by the, mouth you know and and just being present with that just be present um i remember playing with my children um with stuffed animals and barbie dolls and cars and all kinds of things that we used to play with but we while i was sitting on the floor with them i was committed to just really being present with them so they could feel that I was really there. And I could feel that I was really there because I knew, even as young and stupid as I was, that this time with them was so short. And I really didn't want to miss it. I didn't want to look back 20 years from now and go, oh, I missed that. Didn't want to do that. So I, I made a commitment to stay present with them. That's what it means. With our spouses, it means the same thing. To Instead of just coming home and saying, how was your day, dear, and giving a smooch, you just... And then going off to watch TV, rather to have a talk, to really tune in, to pay attention to what they're saying, to pay attention to what you're feeling, to talk about how you felt during your day and what kind of things you thought during your day. Not just, well, do you know what Joe did and do you know what Mary did? But rather, here's how I felt. Here's what I thought. Here's a new insight I had. Here's a new uh, way of looking at a, th- a new way of, of uh, practicing something that I've done in my life today. So... Those are the ways we begin to share the essence of our being with someone else. And there's a kind of presence that comes with sharing that essence with someone else. And, and to be able to, to really, uh, tune into what they're saying, what they're, and ask questions to be able, well, how, you know, how, what did you think when they said that? Or what, what was that like for you? Or those kinds of questions, um, to, to, to facilitate not only deeper conversation, but also to get to know them better on a deeper level. It's amazing to me how many people live together for years and years and years and they don't know anything about the other person. I mean, they think they do, but they don't because they've never had those kind of conversations. They've never spent time being present with that other person. And when they do, they come out with profound new awarenesses about the relationship that they never had time for before. So that's how presence enhances a relationship. It's not just quality time. It's quality presence. So uh, it's okay. How does, how does presence, being presence, enhance your job performance? Well, and what, this is why businesses are using it today is because presence makes us aware of our own responses to other people in the room. It makes us aware of our capacities for creativity, for uh, performance for production, uh, for problem solving, uh, for cre- um, creating a whole new product. It makes us aware of what potentialities are lurking around in there, waiting to express themselves. Um, so we're present with ourselves, and then we can 
oh, wow, that's, look, that looks like a solution to this problem. Let me see if I can present that now. Uh, not undigested presentation, but fully digested presentation, meaning that we're going to work it out in our own heads first, and then we're going to present it. Um, and, and then uh, when we present it, it will be with this passion that comes from the authentic self, the essence of who we are, and it, it has the greater potential to come across as a keen new idea the company might want to participate in, so, or the boss or the coworker, whoever might want to participate in. Uh, so in that sense then, what, what presence does is enhance everything we do because we're more tuned in to what we have to give and what we have to receive from a given uh, moment in time. And I hate to use the word moment in time because there's no such thing as time and there's no such thing as a moment. But given that I have no other language for it, you get the idea. Uh, so... Uh, it's interesting that we talk about job performance um, as if it is literally a performance, and because and for so many people it is because we put on the job face to go to work, and that's really a mask and costume. And some people say, "Well, that's your professional demeanor," and and so and then you should not bring your work with you. I mean, bring your personal life with you to work, and you shouldn't bring your work home. But you know. That's trying to tell us to split off from various aspects of ourselves and compartmentalize over this over here and that over there. I don't think we can really do that. I think we've convinced ourselves that we could and should, and we've tried really hard, um, and we we have murders at work that happen, and then part of that is a result of that in my view. But uh, job is not job performance. Job is job uh, capacity, job creativity, job, essential, the essential me out here doing this job. So uh, when, we, when we talk about performance, we're basically talking about um, getting up on a stage, putting on an act, and then coming back off the stage. When we talk about uh, the essential beingness, being present in a job, we're talking about a whole different ballgame. There's no performance there. There's no, um, I've got to please the boss there. Yes, that's what I just said. There's no, I've got to please the boss there. There is, I'm going to be the fullest me I can be here. And I'm going to present everything that is true in me here. And I'm going to bring my full self to the table. And the company is going to benefit from that. That's what it means to be present. That's why companies are talking about it today. And if we really are able to practice that in a genuine way, the company will definitely benefit. But then so will we. Not only will the company like us better and want to keep us on longer and maybe pay us more, but we also will be a whole lot happier in our jobs. And uh, so that's what, when we talk about being present, in your job, we're not talking about enhancing your performance. We're talking about enhancing your capacity to be present with yourself and to be present in the room with whatever's going on in there. So um, does it increase people's attendance to work? Yes. Does it decrease the stress level? Yes. Does it decrease the absenteeism? Yes. It does all of that. Being present does all of that. And that's why, again, businesses are talking about it today. But it's not something you do where you say, well, I'm going to go and perform really well, and my boss is really going to like me now because I'm, I'm trying really hard to please my boss in this moment, and he's going to know that I'm present with him. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's not it. 
what, uh, what being present means is really tuning into what's inside of you and being able to thereby, from that place inside of you, be present with what's going on outside of you as well. And that's the simultaneity of the non-local experience that I talked about a few minutes ago. But also, uh, it's, it has to do with your bringing your full self to whatever you do. You're fully engaged because you're not, um, you're not trying to be something you're not. You're not trying to please somebody else, even though some other part of you is going, yeah, I don't even like you. Um, you're, you're congruent. Your head, your heart, your vision, your hands, your feet, your spirituality, your everything is all working in the same direction in alignment. Even though you may have conflicting emotions inside of you, you can be present with each of them so there's not a lack of alignment. And that's another mythology that we tend to have is, uh-oh, if I've got two different emotions, I need to get one of them to go away so I can only have one emotion, and then I'll be in alignment. No, 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 no. You can be in alignment and have two different emotions, at the same, two or three or four different emotions at the same time by just being present with each of them. So alignment is not making making yourself into one end of a polarity. That's not alignment, okay? I don't have those feelings. I only have these feelings. Alignment is being able to be present with what is so that you're not resisting what is. You're just with it. Um, and even if you are resisting it, you're being present with your resistance. So, okay. So what we've talked about today is we've sort of defined um, uh, being present. We've, we've given lots of examples of what that's like. We've seen how it is to, we've looked at the mythology behind it. We've looked at all the ways we resist it. We've also looked at how we can bring it into practical everyday living experience. So I hope you know more today than you've ever known about being present. But now it's time to practice it. So I hope you can do that. Next week, we're going to be talking to astrologer Stephen Forrest. And I'm real excited about this. He's one of my favorite astrologers. And I'm so very excited about having him on the show. So looking forward to that. Hope you'll be here for that. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.